This episode is sponsored by How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. This is the most important course I have ever offered. The conversation about alcohol can be deep and difficult, and it can be a hard one to have with your kids. But this course transforms how you talk to your kids, your parenting, your journey, and it can help you create a relationship with your kids that's built on trust and respect and authenticity. In just a few hours, you'll learn how to talk to your kids about alcohol and most importantly, how to keep them talking. How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol teaches you the biggest mistakes to avoid when it comes to your children and drinking. How to create relationships that are based on mutual trust, mutual respect, and openness. And what I wish I would have known as a kid before my first drink. And so much more. Please don't wait. Go to TalkToYourKidsAboutAlcohol.com to learn more and enroll. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and this is This Naked Mind Podcast, and I'm here with Rachel. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. It's just great. So um, why don't you kind of start from the beginning in your relationship with alcohol and your story? Where did it all start for you? Well, I feel like, like a lot of people, I uh, started drinking in high school, I guess, to um, feel, you know, a part of something, to feel accepted. I just perceived that that's what that's what all the cool kids were doing, I guess. And so that's what I did. And my story takes a different turn in that I was um, drinking prior to a football game one week into my senior year and was caught essentially for drinking at this football game with a couple of other girls. Um, and we were zero tolerance. So at that time and in that place, that meant that we were out for one calendar school year. So that was my senior year in high school. Um, it was extremely hard. Um, it was a very public challenge that I went through in that we appealed it and there was a lot of public support, but they upheld the decision. And so at that time, there was no online school. There was no alternate alternative school. There was no real option for me other than to get a GED. And so that's what I did. And I didn't really deal with a lot of those things for a long, long time. So that's kind of while I'm here today speaking with you. And was alcohol very prevalent like in your house growing up or I mean was this just kind of like a No, it was not. And that really plays into my story as well. Very thankful for the conservative upbringing that my parents gave to me. But growing up in a Southern Baptist home and growing in a in a Southern Baptist setting, drinking was not a part of my life as a child. And it was not something that we did. I didn't know people that drank that were adults. And so it's a very forbidden thing um, growing up. And so when you mixed that with the shame and guilt that I experienced when I got in trouble with drinking, it was a lot of a, a lot of negative emotions surrounding alcohol. So as I grew up, I was sorry. I just want to unpack the, the specific situation a little bit more. Had it been that you'd been sneaking around drinking a lot or was this kind of a one-off situation or how was, was I think, it? well, I was a good, I was a good student. Uh, you know, I was a well-behaved, you know, teenager. I just, I think my drinking in my teenage years was pretty stereotypical in that I just would, you know, drink for fun on the weekends with people. And, you know, it's kind of wild, I guess, you know, but it wasn't anything like, it wasn't like I had been in major trouble at all. Like I'd never been in trouble. I'd never been to the principal's office for anything. So it's kind of like everybody was doing it. You just happened to get caught. Yes. Yes. And this was right around the time of Columbine where there was like a knee jerk reaction to the school violence in 2000, where they said, okay, 
we're going to we're going to roll all this under one zero tolerance umbrella violence drugs and alcohol and so it didn't matter if it was your first offense or not you were kicked out of school and you really didn't have any other choices um, i couldn't really go to private schools i couldn't go to other public schools so i uh, i just got the ged and, and went on to college okay interesting and how what about the other girls saying um I don't, I don't, I don't really know exactly. I mean, I think we kind of all went on to, to do what we had to do to, to take those next steps. I still had a lot of high school credits I needed to take care of because I was so involved in some extracurricular things like the annual and choir and those things. So I was missing a lot of learning going into college and I really struggled academically there. And I continued to drink through my college years and through my, my young married twenties. And, uh, I think um, it wasn't until I listened to the Byron Katie podcast that you did with her that it really clicked and that a lot of what I dealt with with the shame and guilt perpetuated my negative drinking cycle. So so let's go sort of from college um, on. So you when did you start to sort of question it? Well, I always I always questioned my drinking because I was always the person that kind of kept drinking. Like I never wanted the party to end. I never wanted people to leave. I never wanted to go home like where other people would stop. You know, I was the girl that was like, let's just keep going, you know? And I, I always knew in the back of my mind, that this wasn't healthy for me. Like I never, I never thought like what I'm doing is good, a good thing, but I never truly could grasp. I, I I had no idea that it was possible to just stop drinking. As silly as that mm-hmm. sounds, like it, mm-hmm. I thought it was like AA, like or you hit rock bottom, you went to AA or rehab, and that was kind of what you had to do if you really wanted to quit. Yeah, for sure. That's how I felt as well. So when did that start to change? Well, uh, I kept you know kind of questioning in the back of my mind, and my drinking, my drinking habits became more. I don't know how to explain it, like a lot more negative and a lot more, I just, it was just taking a lot of energy from me and I was questioning and I was, I was praying through some different challenges that we had had. You know, we, we, we ran into some typical adulting kind of things. Like I lost my grandparents, you know, we went through some financial challenges, COVID, you know, I'm in education. So there were some stressful things surrounding that. Um, And one of the things that really scared me and really got my attention was not just how bad I was feeling from the drinking, but I knew I was just like one choice away from a rock bottom. Like I was terrified that something bad was going to happen. And the blacking out was very concerning to me. I had never really blacked out no matter how much I drank in my younger days. Like when I grew into an older adult, the blacking out started and it didn't really stop. And I know you've talked about this in some of your work and, and I just, it, it was happening more often and it really, really scared me. And that's one of the things that I think really got my attention and really started making me question. And so what did you, what did you start doing once well, uh, I was praying and uh, physically like a lot of stress was happening in 2020 that was really uh, affecting me physically and emotionally and mentally. And I was just so tired. And on Instagram, this advertisement popped up for a different book. And so I went to Amazon like one does <laughs> and I looked for that book. But your book was one that had higher reviews and was more popular and it had a lot more reviews actually and a lot more positive feedback. And I thought, well, I need to get this book because 
this book is about controlling alcohol. This has got some great reviews. So I'm going to control alcohol. And so I ordered that. And that was in the fall of 2020. And then in the introduction, it talks about like, you know, keep drinking and just be curious. And I was like, oh, I really like this book. So I just kept drinking. And then a couple of months later, when, like I said, the physical toll was happening and the stress was just so much. And I was just so tired, just so tired from going so hard on the weekends that I got it back out. And once I got past like the first few chapters, I didn't really put it down um, and I finished it just, you know, in a day or two. But there were several parts of the book that really spoke to me. And I knew like I was a changed person and I knew I had to make that decision and that I could like I felt empowered. It was it was a miracle. It was a true like modern day miracle. I love that so much. That's so cool. Um, It's interesting because when I first wrote the book in 2015, it was a really different culture around alcohol. I didn't really know it at the time, but there wasn't any alternatives to AA basically at all. And, uh, and I remember people being so mad at me that I had named it control alcohol. Like I would get these literal hate mail letters and, and I'm just sitting there like, I wouldn't have picked up a book that said, get sober. Like that wasn't where my mind was. Like I wouldn't have picked it up. So I'd rather have more people pick it up because, and then at the end of the book, of course, I say the only way to control it is really not to put it in your mouth because how your brain works and like show the science behind why it's so hard to control if you're ingesting it. But I just remember people being so mad. And so I, I had so much second guessing of myself and just questioning like, oh my gosh, am I like this terrible, like, like, horrible person. I mean, I would, I would literally get letters from people saying that I'm going to kill people. And I'm, I'm like just the devil incarnate. And, and, uh, and then I remember the first time we had a live gathering of people and we had, we invited people to Denver and, and there was just like all these people who wanted to talk to me and they were just like, I would have never picked up the book. Mm -hmm. And so Okay, me neither. Like I would not have picked up a get sober book, right? Or a stop drinking book. I just wasn't psychologically there, even though that was what I needed. No, it was brilliant. And the science behind it and what it does to your brain, that was when I thought I will never be able to drink and 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 now that I know what I know. And I just I was just a changed person. I can't, I can't explain it. Like I remember, there's so many core memories. Like I remember walking and after I, like the next morning, after I read that part, I remember not wanting to put it down. I got so excited that there were podcasts available and uh, I listened to them voraciously. Like I listened to these podcasts all the time. And then I got into the different books, the different literature that's out there, like quit like a woman and all those. And I just felt so empowered. And there was one particular podcast with me, Shirley, that I listened to, me, Shirley Holland. And I, I remember where, exactly where I was. I remember so many parts of it. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, there is somebody out there so similar to me. How can this be? Like, how, how can we be so much alike? And then at the end, when she talked about like that, she was a naked mind coach, I thought, oh my gosh, like it just kept getting better for me. Like, after reading the book. And so I reached out to her. I think she had kind of recently started her coaching journey. So she was so excited and so encouraging. And um, she introduced me to so many truths that seemed really silly that I didn't really, couldn't really wrap my brain around. I mean, I remember sitting over there and her telling me, you know, you can forgive yourself for what happened your senior year in high school. And I was like, what? You can do that? 
like, I can actually like move past that. <laughs> and then she introduced me to the Byron Katie work and she just helped me so much. And you got to re- remember, like I had quit drinking, but I was still going through so much stress in this one particular place I was, I was working in. And so she was so patient with me because there were days like I was teaching in the middle of COVID that I was just beyond exhausted. And she was just so, so generous and so kind. And I'll never forget what she's done for me. And we keep in touch, of course, now. And she's just an amazing person. I love Mead. She is absolutely incredible. She's just phenomenal. And I, I, uh, so you, you said that it was that Byron Katie episode that helped you to really forgive yourself. Yeah, I, I. I was listening. I hadn't listened to the podcast in a while. I had the alert that you had done one with her on my phone. I thought, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like, that's huge. Like both these people in one episode. (laughs) So I listened to it right away. And what she talked about when she talked about, and and you, you guys were both discussing the shame and the guilt and how, like, I always, whether it was subconsciously or consciously, like I always would kind of beat myself up like, why did I not stop drinking after I got in so much trouble? Why did I keep drinking so heavily? And I think it wasn't until I really heard her articulate with you that that, even though we wouldn't think that that makes us want to keep drinking, it does, that it, that, that it kind of clicked. I had done the, um, some of the other work from her book, but like the shame and guilt stuff hadn't really stuck out to me until I listened to that podcast. And then that's what prompted me to reach out to you and I kind of always wanted to, to like tell you how much the book meant to me. And, but I really, I didn't want to jinx myself. You know, I I still like felt like I needed to get through all those firsts, um, which I had heard about through other podcasts and other groups. And um, a lot of them were hard, but it's like, once you get through those firsts and you listen to other people's testimonies, it's so helpful and so empowering. And I'm so grateful to all the people that have shared their story for me that, that, that's, you know what, of course I want to do to help others as well. But, but I, I heard people say like, it only gets better. And I, I just didn't know whether or not to believe them, but it's so true. It really does. Like the more time that passes, the more grateful you become. And the further you get from those hangovers, the better you feel. Mm, so true. That's so true. I love that. Um, so what do you think was like the hardest first for you? No, I, I was very blessed because we were still going through COVID. So I wasn't, I wasn't in a lot of social situations, but I will say the trips like leading up to the vacations, I think is hard. Cause you don't really like, you know, you, you think you might want to drink when you get to the beach, you know, cause that's kind of what you do. Like when you're a drinker, you, you get to the beach and you pop up in your first drink, but I quickly learned to appreciate and cherish my alcohol-free vacations because it's like a true vacation and I don't need to rest when I come home because I'm already rested like what a vacation supposed to be but I, I think the trips were hard in some ways and and being with other people that are drinking on vacation and, and and you talk about this and people that have been in this through this understand this but when you're around other people that are drinking and and you you kind of have to explain yourself, but then you also, I feel like I need to be careful because I don't want them to think that I'm judging them because I am comfortable being around them. But then I can quickly get uncomfortable if someone's as drunk as I used to be. And I realize that's what I looked like. Like, but that's me. That's that, that's not them. Like that's just me having those emotions. So I don't ever want anybody to feel like they can't drink around me or that I'm judging them because I was right there, the drunkest one of all. 
So what are, I know me too. I'm like, it's funny because recently, actually I went to Vegas for something with work. We were doing some filming and stuff. And uh, the, the crew was like all drinking and they're like, oh, is this okay with you? I'm like, of course, I'll buy you a drink. Like it's no big deal. <laughs> I have no problem with you drinking. And, and it, it's just hard for people to wrap their heads around sometimes. Yes. But what was, the, what was the tools or like, what were some of your go-to things to make it through those vacations? Uh, oh, I started some hobbies. I started um, like paint by numbers. And so like, I'd be fine during the day because I could actually go work out if I wanted to or go do something with the kids, which was so awesome. I can't even explain like, as a yeah, mother. so different. Your kids become like your favorite things instead of like this burden that you're trying to slog your way through. Yes. And like not being able to drive to dinner after you've been on the beach all day, like that's not an issue anymore. And it's amazing. Um, but at night... It, like if I, I just felt like I needed to be busy, I would do a paint by numbers. And then I'd always wanted to get into needle pointing and it's something you can actually take with you. It's a lot more portable than paints. And so I got into needle pointing and that kind of keeps me busy and it's like a treat and it's relaxing. And so it kind of takes, takes the place. Um, Fridays, I would get on my Peloton um, afternoons because like Fridays when I would come home, like that's when I would start drinking. And so I would, I would try to do like a Peloton workout to relieve that stress. Um, I would talk to friends. I would call somebody, um, but I was never really white knuckling. I, I really, I had made a lot of rules for myself, but I'd never said, okay, I'm going to stop drinking forever. And it was like, when I read your book, I knew like, I can do this. I can, I'm done. I'm done drinking. And I was, and it, I still, it's a, a miracle to me. And I'm so, and there's not one day that goes by that I'm not so thankful for it. I love that. And I think that that sort of gentle decision of, you know, it just, it makes it so much more authentic, you know, where you're not trying to, trying to do anything for anybody else, but yourself really, which is really cool. I remember on vacations being on the beach. And for some reason, when I used to go on vacation, it was always like, as soon as it was like 11 AM or depending maybe even earlier, if we were at breakfast and having mimosas, but it was like, all right, how, how drunk can we get? How early? Right. Mm -hmm. And then we get really drunk sort of on the beach or whatever. And then I go back to the room and we take a nap. And I remember the feeling of getting up then for dinner and always just feeling like dinner is just ruined. Like it was always just ruined because I just, I couldn't, I felt like molasses in my veins and the alcohol from 11 AM was just kind of like wearing off and I would feel so miserable and I try to have a few more drinks and it would just never be the same. And so I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to do that tomorrow. But then the next day it would be like, we're all drinking first thing in the morning again. And it was always like these two bouts of drinking, like the, the, you know, early afternoon or mid morning, late morning drinking, and then the evening drinking. And I, I remember going through it over and over and always thinking this is horrible and then doing it again. And I never even questioned like, yeah, do I have a choice here? Like it wasn't yeah. even in my awareness, right? Yeah. But wishing my whole entire day away, I just think back to being like truly sick and hungover from drinking poison and laying around all day thinking, oh, if I can just get through this day, if this day can just be over, I'll feel better tomorrow. And it's like, uh, life is too short. I, I do not miss that. I don't, and I don't miss up. I don't miss waking up in the middle of the night. I did not know that that was a thing, that that was like scientific. 
I just thought that was me. Isn't that hilarious? I was like, oh, time to go to the freezer. It's 3 a.m. and get my ice pack. I feel like mm-hmm. crap. And then when I read that that's my body trying to repair itself, I had a whole new outlook on that. It's so crazy how much we don't know about alcohol. And I'm so encouraged by the new movement and how much there seems to be out there. And I don't know if it's just me sensitive to it because I'm so encouraged by it or if it really is growing, but I feel like it's growing and it's a lot more prevalent living alcohol free than it was when I first began to read about it in late 2020. Oh yeah. It's, it's like, it's like exponentially growing right now. Like even I read recently that even alcohol companies are starting to dedicate like 20 to 25% of their R and D budgets into developing drinks. And, um, and like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's literally just everywhere. And it's so cool how the whole paradigm is, is changing. I remember thinking, you know, a long time ago, someone's like, well, you know, what, what do you see that the world could be like? And I was like, what, by the time my kids are of drinking age, I would love for it to be just as normal for them to say no to a drink as say yes to a drink, that there would be no guilting them or no peer pressure or like half the kids are saying yes, maybe half the kids are saying no, or maybe even we can do better than that. But at least, you know, instead of 95 to hundred percent, because I, I literally think in the, in those situations, especially for me in my early working days, there was nobody not drinking. And if there was ever anybody not drinking, you knew that that person was an alcoholic because they had told you and they were sober and you had to be real careful. And I think that's why people like are worried about like, Hey, can I drink around you? It's like, yeah, for sure. Like I, I have no, you know, I feel about alcohol. We were just um, a few weeks ago in on a vacation with my in-laws and like, (laughs) we got this plate of fruit in the morning and it had papaya on it. And I just hate papaya. Like I, I think papaya, I love fruit. I love all the fruit, but papaya for me just smells like a porta potty. I don't know. I just cannot handle papaya. <laughs> and so I was thinking about it. Like, it's so easy for me not to eat papaya. Like it takes no willpower to yeah. not eat papaya. And that's how I feel about when people ask me, would it be okay if I was drinking? I was like, it would, if you were eating papaya in front of me, it would be totally fine because I would have no problem not eating it because I just don't like papaya, right? So fascinating. It really is. And and knowing that I am not the problem, that the addictive substance that is alcohol is the problem was so freeing for me in reading about the industry was hugely enlightening. And I, I just can't articulate enough how many misconceptions I had based on what our culture is telling us. Um, and how freeing it was to learn the truth about so many things. So good. So how have things, um, you know, been going socially? I, I enjoy more time alone than I used to. That's for sure. I'm more comfortable just relaxing. I'm fine to be with my friends. My friends are all very supportive. Uh, my family's extremely supportive. I'm just a lot more productive. I will say that I've been able to accomplish things that I've wanted to do my whole life uh, because I have extra time. I don't have to plan around feeling like crap every weekend, every Saturday and every Sunday. Um, and being able to be there for my kids are very busy at this stage in life. How old are your kids? Um, they are in sixth and eighth grade. So they're very active in sports and in their hobbies. And 
I just love that I'm present for them. And I love that I came across your work when I did and that God moved in my life like he did at that time, because I feel like was cutting it close. <laughs> like they were certainly at an age where um, I need to be the example that I want to be for them. And my daughter had shared with me that she did not like my drinking when she was younger, like many years ago. And that, that kind of started my wheels turning too. And I don't even know if she would remember. I mean, she was little and you talked about this in your book too, like what our kids think about our drinking really, really hit me hard that, I mean, I was underlining and highlighting and that was a hard truth for me to reflect upon. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, talking to people and interviewing, interviewing people about their parents drinking, you know, as part of that research for that part of the book. And uh, one interview in particular stood out where she said that even though her mom didn't drink a lot, there was the nights that, um, you know, they'd go out to, to parties or something and her mom would come home and she'd be so loving. And so like, oh, you know, but she's like, I felt so unstable. And I felt more unstable with her being overly, you know, how we get like overly, you're the best. Yeah. Really affectionate. She's like, because it just didn't feel like her. It felt so uncertain. And it felt like my mom just wasn't there. And I was like, yeah. And, and if you go and even just as a person and you're around somebody and you watch them get drunk, you do, you watch them, like their spirit kind of like, I don't know, like it just kind of goes somewhere else. There's, there's something else happening. The, the, the real human part of them, the like highest self part just mm -hmm. kind of devolves a little bit. And so anyway, that was, yeah, it was really important for me too, my journey. Um, so how, like, has there been anything that you've, you've considered really difficult? Well, yeah, I mean, I think when you're, when you're with someone that's still drinking, like if you're married to somebody that's still drinking, that part, it can be hard. And I think that you've, you've written about that. And I think that that's something that you just, you have to continually go back to like, what's best for you, you know, and the decision that you've made. And, uh, you know, I won't pretend like that's not been a hard part, but it's definitely something that, you know, we just keep talking about and, you know, and keep working on and I'll just try to be as, just as open and, and kind as I can. Um, just like, you know, you hear about like how, how kind Mead was to me. Like I try to go back to the things that she taught me too and, and use those things as well. Yeah. And I, I feel like it, one of the analogies that I sort of give for that, because, you know, my husband drank for about two years after I stopped and he doesn't drink now. It was very kind of one day we just sort of looked back and we're like, oh, you haven't had a drink in a while. And it was interesting how that works, but he had to read the book because <laughs> I was like, I've got to publish this and I talk about yeah. all sorts of things. So you better read this. And so yeah. he actually did read it, but he didn't, that didn't, he didn't stop then. But I think it kind of like over time, like works on him. I also think I was a bit of the ringleader in our, in our drinking. So mm -hmm. he, you know, if I wasn't out buying it. He would, he would still go buy beer, but it would, it was just at a a little bit of a lesser amount than when I was kind of instigating. But in any event, I remember just thinking of it like, okay, like the number one thing that I can do, and, and I think he just gave me such a gift because early on he said, this is your thing. This is not my thing. So do not expect me to change. And I think that like just that from the very beginning 
was so good for me because Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, like if I have no, all of the pain that I had when it came to his drinking came from my expectation that it would be different. And I think it's very Byron Katie, right? Byron Katie is always talking about how much all of our pain really comes from our resistance of what is our resistance to reality. Like one of her most popular books is called like loving what is. And if you're just accepting and non-resistant to what is real, you don't have pain (laughs) and the pain doesn't come actually from the other person's behavior. It becomes, it comes a lot because you're resistant to what is actually happening and what is real. And so for, for me, for him to tell me early on, like I am, I'm just going to drink and, and for me to have no expectations Um, Or to have to, not that I didn't have expectations, by the way, for me to have to mourn that and make peace with it. Mm -hmm. That's much more accurate to what it was because it wasn't that I didn't, I certainly wanted him to stop drinking. I certainly wanted him to be on board with me. I wanted all of that stuff, but he was so upfront about the fact that this is your thing. This is not my thing. You better not like try to change me that Mm -hmm. I just kind of had to mourn that. Like I just had to be like, okay. And then I, I, I likened it to, okay, I just have to do this. It's sort of like I'm hiking up a mountain and instead of hiking up a mountain without a backpack on, I'm hiking up a mountain with a little bit of a backpack full of rocks. And it's going to be a little bit harder than if he wasn't doing it. But I know that me having to do it that way made me much stronger and much more certain because I had to do it just for myself. Like there was no other reason. And so like in hindsight, I'm thankful for it because it was just like, okay, like you get a lot more exercise if you're hiking with a backpack full of rocks, which makes you stronger. Right. But certainly it certainly, you know, I think the most, the best thing we can do in, in that situation is, is just to put down, put down our resistance. Um, even though that's really hard. And, uh, I, I actually had a, a man that we meet with frequently. He said, one of the best things you can do for your marriage is to get a piece of paper and write out every single thing about how you wish they would be like all the things you wish they would do. Like you wish he would say nicer things to you. You wish he would, you know, take out the garbage on time. You wish he would this, you wish he would that, you wish he would stop drinking, you wish this, you wish that. And like all the things and then go and just like mourn and have a funeral for that person because that person doesn't actually exist. And then look across the table. Once you've like purged that emotion, look across the table and start to find something that you appreciate about the person actually sitting right there. And that more than anything is like changed the dynamic of my marriage because we spend so much time, not just with people's drinking, but with so many things. Expectations. Yeah. Expectations, wanting somebody to be different than they are instead of And it wasn't like that when we were dating, by the way, we didn't do that as much. I don't feel like, like, I don't know why when you get married, all of a sudden you think like, I'm going to change this person. In fact, we sometimes get married thinking, well, I don't like this and this, but I'll change them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So interesting. Um, So yeah. Have you, uh, is that like helpful at all? Or do you think you've been? Oh yeah. I mean, the backpack analogy with the rocks is extremely just accurate really. Cause you just, you, you do like it, it's, it's complicated and it's hard because your partner didn't read the book or flip the switch like you did. And that was your drinking buddy. And so they've lost their drinking buddy and, and you've started a new chapter and they're not necessarily on the same page. And so there's just a lot to, to work through and thank goodness we have such a strong marriage and we 
certainly know that nothing's going to tear us apart, um, but it's it's just getting through these changes as we learn and grow together, and and always going back to like what what brought us together and and why we'll always be together, and and letting go of some of those expectations and and accepting it for what it is. It's just yeah. sometimes in the in the moment you don't always you're not always thinking those things. I'm not as always I'm not always as patient as I wish I was. Yeah. And I think it is hard when you have a change in perspective. And I think one of the things that has been really important um, is just understanding that like most of, if, if somebody, because a lot of people will tell me that this is never my experience in my marriage specifically, but this is a lot of people's experience in their marriage where they feel pressure to drink again from their partner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and usually they're like, I don't understand it. He's like trying to sabotage me. Like, why, why would he be pressuring me? And, and I'm like, well, you have to understand that like in their, in their worldview, they feel like they've lost something too, you know, a way that you used to connect and, and they're just afraid. They're just afraid that either you will kind of evolve past them, or you'll think that you'll judge them, or you'll think that you're too good for them. And so the more we can do to like reassure and, you know, just like I would buy Brian drinks, I would, you know, if I was out at the grocery store, I'd be like, do you want me to stop at the liquor store? And, and I know that seems kind of counterintuitive considering how I feel about alcohol, but I knew that the most important thing was like him feeling like my, I not projecting anything onto him that I was doing, you know, not passively judging or, um, you know, those little side, side glances, because all that does is, is just ruin or not ruin, but it can, it can certainly erode the um, rapport between the two of you, like it can erode the the communication. And then suddenly you're not like a safe place because they feel like you're going to judge them. And I think that, you know, even makes them more resistant to ultimately changing. You can't do any of that with like, okay, I'm doing this. So you'll change later. Like you really have to kind of let that go, I think. But I do think the best chance we have of somebody, you know, finding their own way is when they feel really loved and accepted and when the connection is really strong, because when the connection is really strong, if they ever reach a point, um, I remember a good friend of mine, it was the same sort of thing where I, I wrote my book and she was actually, it was funny because she was over at my house and, um, it was during the summer, our kids were playing and I was like working on some of the final things. And I had to put in all these footnotes for the book, like just match the study to the thing. And I had to format it in like, cause I self-published initially. So I had to format it in like the APA formatting. Mm-hmm. And so she would, she sat there with me for three hours and like ran these studies through this formatting software. So we'd get the right formatting in the back of the book. And, and she's telling me, she's like, I'm not going to read this. And <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's fine. And, and she's like, cause I don't want to stop drinking. And I, I think I, I will like, and I was like, that's, I was like, yeah, no problem. That's, but like, I knew that she goes, but I know it's here for me. So I know that if I ever, I ever feel like I'm overdoing it, I know it's here for me. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, I appreciate that. And I think that when we maintain a really good, strong relationship with the, the friend, the, the mm-hmm. partner, then they do, they know that they, they come to us when they start to question it. And, you know, as we know now, alcohol over time, it only goes one direction. It doesn't, it doesn't get better. You don't drink less over time. Right. And so it's, it's not like the outcome for somebody who's drinking regularly is going to in five years be 
I mean, it's pretty predictable. It's going to start to cause problems. Like it's just how it is, right? So anyway, yeah. So what else has been interesting for you or eye-opening? I think just the, the things that I've been able to pursue have been really powerful because I felt like I learned so much and I was able to grow, grow so much that you almost feel like unstoppable. Like you think I can go do anything now that I've done this and, or things that, you know, you kind of wished you had done before, but you hadn't, you know, you're like, now's the time. Like, and so through the learning, I've been able to combine some of the things I learned um, through your work and with me and, and through some SEL training for students and some um, a yoga certification for them. Um, and I just think it's really cool that you can take these, these hard things that you go through and, and become stronger. And then if you're in a place where you can influence, um, you can hopefully, you know, shine a light on that for them too. And so I'm just thankful to be in in the field of education so that hopefully I can help help students um, with some of the things that they're going through. Um, and I'm pursuing um, a, a graduate degree that I've always wanted to pursue. And so that's been extremely um, challenging, but in a good way. So I know all about APA format <laughs> and uh, enjoyed that work um, and just being able to plan uh, new adventures and, and know that we'll be able to go see some great things and um, get out into the world and, and not feel like crap. I just don't miss that. I do not miss feeling like crap. I can't even explain to you how thankful I am to be in a better place physically and mentally. I love that. What are you getting your master's in? Um, educational leadership. So I'll be looking at um, a lot of research with learning and with leading and uh, curriculum, a lot of work with, with those things. So I, I love reading the studies and the, the things that you included in your book were really powerful. It's so cool. My mom and I were talking yesterday because she is working on um, something with one of the, the things she's involved with where she's, there's something called Peace Education University and she's bringing that as a pilot to kind of the the schools where I, um, where I went to school when I was a kid. Yeah. And and it's interesting. And, and she's like, yeah, it's really cool. Like there's a foundation and then the foundation pays for the curriculum development. And then they pay for these workbooks. And then there's a series of videos. And then, you know, the, there's a facilitator guide. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Like how cool would that be to sort of create like this educational platform to where, you know, you can, you know, for any school that would want it, we would have this sort of like, and I don't know what age might make sense, maybe eighth grade, you know, they do this for sex education, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, how cool would it be to have a similar thing where all the kids get the workbooks, all the kids, like there's the videos, there's a facilitator guide, and it's just like four weeks of, you know, an hour of the curriculum, it just kind of like starts to put itself into schools. And anyway, I, th I think that's, that's really something that I'm going to think about and look at, because I, I just think that would be like, how amazing would that be to have this stuff? I mean, I wrote this book recently called Buzz to Buzzkill, which is the things I wish I would have known before my first drink. Um, and, and it's for that age, but I'm like, what if we could put that into more of a curriculum and I don't know what any of that looks like but I was just thinking how cool would that be I've uh, been able to work with a nonprofit in our area um, that bring it's called Project Post and what they do is they shine a light on 
internet safety in the hopes to prevent domestic minor sex trafficking. And so they've done just that. They've created this curriculum that teaches children how to be safe online and, and what happens when you're not safe online. Um, and it's very, very powerful tool. So I'm, I'm very thankful for the work that they've done. And um, I love that I can combine too, like what I've learned through me, I'm a coach of teachers. And so I can take some of the strategies and some of the things that she's used and, and kind of like make them work for teachers in a weird way. I don't know. It's just, it's really cool how it all overlap. Um, I'll be doing some coaching training coming up and I just, I'm just so excited about what I've learned and applying that to what I do every day. I love that. That's just incredible. That's so cool. Um, well, Rachel, let me ask you the question that I kind of finished these up with, which is if you were going to go back in time, um, you know, to Rachel, who was not only drinking, but just feeling so much guilt about something that a little girl did really, you know, we're little when we're teenagers and, uh, just beating herself up and you were going to tell her about what life is like now, what would you say? I think I would say you don't have to hit rock bottom, you know, to, to make a change. Um, you don't have to wait for something bad to happen. Uh, to forgive yourself and move on, that everybody makes mistakes. Um, and then that it's not, it's not you, it's, it's not you, that's the problem. It's the alcohol that's addicting, it's an addicting substance. And just to give yourself grace, I think um, we could all use that and uh, forgiveness um, and love and acceptance and how important those things are. Mm, I love that. That's so good. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And um, I really appreciate it. It's so good to thank get to know. It's been a surreal experience. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Wouldn't it be great if our children never had to go through the pain and challenges that we faced in our own relationships with alcohol? That's my greatest wish for my own kids, and it's why I created the most important course that I've ever offered, How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol. Now, even if you've struggled with alcohol and you're not sure what to talk to your kids about it, or if you want to create a relationship with your children that's based on mutual respect, mutual trust, and open communication, if you know that this conversation might be one of the most important you'll have with your kids and it just can't wait any longer, then this course is for you. It includes lifetime access to six video modules, a bonus recorded Q&A session where I answer questions from parents live, just like you, an interactive workbook, and our private and exclusive How to Talk to Your Kids About Alcohol online community where you can connect with others who are also navigating this important conversation. Visit talktoyourkidsaboutalcohol.com to learn more and enroll today. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.